Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. And this week, we're going to be enthusiastically uh, spotlighting <laughs> um, a few great yet um, quite obscure sitcoms that uh, remain under scene. Um, all of these are fairly recent. They've all aired in the 21st century. So within the last you know, 20 years or so, like, we're not talking about like, you know, Mm-hmm. Cheers or anything like that, but um, <laughs> we'll be discussing um, Comedy Central's Detroiters and the other two, um, two from the little uh, cable network, uh, alongside something from the mid-noughts um, in Stars' Party Down, uh, who you might recognize a lot of uh, its cast from. Um, in fact, it was created um, right after Veronica Mars was cancelled and you know, uh. most of its cast and crew and writers and directors were, were working on Party Down. Uh, and finally, we'll talk about the most recent one, which is 2019's HBO Mexican supernatural <laughs> comedy, uh, Los Espookies. Um, the first thing that if, if you've ever seen any of these shows or if you've never seen any of these shows, you'll kind of know that uh, my taste in comedy isn't, shall we say, broad. It isn't um, like a friend's, you know, like a, yeah. a set-up punchline, set-up punchline kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these four have like very different brands of humor. Um, and they're all, you know, very left field or bizarre or like gloriously dumb and loud like Detroiters are. Yeah. Or quite, you know, on the pulse uh, of today like the other two is. Um, Party Down is pretty much in the vein of uh, of Ricky Gervais' show. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a lot of strains of The Office and extras there. Uh, Less of Spookies is probably the most bizarre of them all, uh, with the with the weirdest <laughs> sense of humor. Um, so so they all are, shall we say, not accessible comedies. But I kind of want to break down why I love these obscure comedies yep. and why they're they're um eccentric. Uh, brands of humor appeal to me just because they're so different from the, your run-of-the-mill sitcoms that appear on, you know, NBC, ABC, and you know your friends of that and stuff of the ilk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, I think, has only uh, just recently caught four of these shows. Yeah. Um, among the four of them, um, which would be your favorite? Uh, I, I, I think Party Down's got to be favorite for me. Uh, cool. For sure. Uh, the other two, I haven't quite finished both seasons yet. I'm only mm-hmm. halfway through the first season, so. Uh, I do appreciate its its uh, very present pop culture sensibilities uh, and yep. ab- ability to laugh at itself uh, in a very kind of modern, uh, relatable way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think Party Down is it for me. Lost as Bookies is funny, but it's mm-hmm. so absurd. Sometimes it loses me, right? Like how far yeah. they, they, they kind of take it. Um, you know, that and like a bit of the language barrier. I, I think like uh, what I was watching, sometimes the subtitles seemed a bit off. Um, yeah. For that, um, Detroiters was fun. Yep. Uh, for like the majority of like the first season and the first half of the first season, I got a bit bored. Uh, mm-hmm. after a while, I think like certain subjects that they um, yeah, they focus on kind of like switched it up a bit, and you know, some sometimes it hit for me, sometimes it didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, Party Down I thought was consistently funny, and I think like with the guest stars coming in, that kind of like added to. Um, you know, just the general um, comedy that we had over there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I think um, probably recency bias because the uh, the second season of the other two just aired like a couple of months ago. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's currently at the top for me, like, But like I said, like it's probably recency bias. Like. Yep. Um, but we will be beginning with one of the two Comedy Central shows in uh, Detroit, is primarily because we have covered. Uh, one of the shows that these creators <laughs> have, 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 have already done. Yes. Um, you can listen to our episode about I Think You Should Leave with Tim, Tim Robinson yeah. uh, last year on, on an, one of the earliest episodes of Behold, actually. Um, it, is, it was one of those most bizarre, left-field, and eccentric sketch comedy shows, I think, that has ever existed. <laughs> um, its second season continues to be um, impressively bizarre. Have you seen season two, by the way? Of I think it should. Oh be? no, I have not. There is this gag with um, with coffins that I don't even know how to describe. It's a, <laughs> it's okay. a, it it it's a it's about like making sturdy coffins so that um, 
uh, people don't flop through coffins. Apparently, you know, in, in that world, that is a big problem, you know, when, when the pallbearers are carrying the coffins and then bodies would just flop through. Oh, um, God. So uh, apparently it's a big problem. So yeah, that's what the sketch is about. It's it's so weird, right? Like, and, and, and they make stuff like that work. And, and I think that is similar to their previous show, uh, Detroitus, you know, um, created by Sam Richardson, who you may know from Veep, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, Tim Robinson. It was a, a scrappy little Comedy Central sitcom uh, back in 2017. Um, it follows, man, how do I break this? Okay, it follows Sam Duvet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam, who's played by Sam Richardson, of course, and Tim Kremlin, who is uh, played by uh, Tim Robinson, who are best friends who live in Detroit. Yeah. Um, they love Jessity and they love each other fiercely. Uh, they live next door to each other. Um, Tim is married to Sam's sister. Um, and, and they run a low-rent ad agency together where they produce low-budget television commercials for local Detroit clients. Mm-hmm. Um, ads, uh, you know, stuffed with, you know, cheese ball gags that they somehow managed to convince themselves are clever and witty. Yeah. Uh, and I should probably have like led with this. Uh, these two people are very, very dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, if 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 that proved to be like the full extent of the series' like premise, you know, local commercials are cheesy and the people who make them are idiots. You know, Detroitus, um, first season might have made a bigger splash than it did, but you know, instead of like acid wit, the show is kind of leavened with a sincere, um profoundly goofy kind of sweetness you know um sam and tim are not smart and nor are they particularly good at what they do but their affection for the city that they live in is very very real and their status as best friends is you know um inviolate their their chemistry the chemistry between the two actors that portray them is incredible like richardson sam is a man so convinced that he possesses skills that (laughs) he very much does not that the smallest compliment turns him, you know, um, into a, a a creature of like hilarious mom, you know, and 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 Robinson Stim is a what's the word a mouth breather, you know, who oh god yeah who yeah, feels everything deeply and too deeply, you know, and and one of the Detroiters' chief joys is watching that actor launch Stim from like slack jawed, uncomprehending passivity into like vein popping rage and like back again in seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and along the way, the guest cast is sprinkled with a lot of real world Detroiters like Keegan-Michael Key and Mark Evan Jackson, um, along with, you know, just a, a lot of uh, plainly funny people like former SNLers uh, and current Ted Lasso, Jason Sudeikis, uh, Tim Meadows, Nora Dunn, Bobby Moynihan, you know, the, mm-hmm. the humor is broad and dumb at times and, and casually filthy, but, it's so often the the little things, like the tiny dialogue exchanges at, at the very end of a given scene that have the feel of improvisation, even if they really aren't. And yeah. that produces the biggest laughs. There is a, a breeziness to the proceedings that keeps the series' like reality flexible enough mm-hmm. to incorporate some pretty big plot swings without breaking stride. You know, um and and it's it's really very good, very funny television for people who um, who want to see a really dumbed down version of Mad Men? I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Um. Well, what what are your thoughts on on? You've seen both seasons, right? Yeah, I've seen both seasons. Uh, yeah. I preferred season one more than season two. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a large part of it had to do with the moments that Tim goes off the hinge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I felt like that was a bit more well spaced out in season one. Like we don't get to see that much until like the second half of season one, right? Yeah. Uh, in season two, it was funny at points, uh, and then I think in particular after the episode where uh, Tim's brother moves in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that episode kind of like turned me off a little for that particular kind of gag, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't really like the idea of sitting through a good third of the episode where people are just screaming at their top their lungs at each other. Yeah. Uh, that to me isn't the kind of comedy I'm looking for necessarily. Um, you know, and and to be fair, uh and, and to be clear as well, right? Like that's not the majority of what Detroit is, but that particular episode in particular was just a bit of a turn off. Mm-hmm. Um even though the moments that they weren't screaming at each other were plenty funny, right? Like 
just tipped it over the scale for me. And from then on to the rest of it, every time Tim had a kind of breakdown, it did annoy me, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of that, I do feel like Sam and Tim's relationship, their chemistry is entirely... Oh, man. It is it is so good and it is so funny in so many ways, right? That when either one of them is missing from a particular scene, it's very palpable. Um, I do think, like, eventually when they get to the point where where Sam um, goes to goes back to his dad's restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like like Tim's loneliness and the emptiness in the office was was something that I, I you could totally see, right? Like it was it was clear that there wasn't a presence there that he was struggling uh, to relate to other people. He was trying to keep the business afloat and all of that. And I think that is just a summation of that. It is an incredibly funny and codependent and mm-hmm. <laughs> in often cases very toxic relationship between the two. Yeah. Uh, where essentially one can't live without the other, quite literally. Uh, you know, and all the situations in which that plays out in a very oddly specific industry, portion of an industry, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I most enjoyed them making commercials. Uh, them pitching for commercials and making commercials and seeing like kind of like the output of that was some of my favorite gags. Uh, for sure, uh, I love Chump of the Week and Mort Crim. That episode was hilarious. Mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. yeah, like some of my favorite kind of parts on that. All in all, like I enjoyed it. I do find like, um, yeah, some parts were just uneven because of an over reliance on you know, uh, Tim Robinson's very tried and true kind of like outburst, right? Which is something that we do see a fair bit more in his own show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it feels different when it's in his own show, right? That like uh that feels more in line with what the show is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But with yeah, yeah. Detroit does itself, not, it doesn't always hit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sort of very reminiscent of like a, a, a little bit of like workaholics and a bit of mm, Broad City in, yes, the, in, yes. in, in, the, in the best friends dynamic. But also has um, a lot of um, earlier 2000s touches, you know, like oh, um, a very oh. um, Tom Green-ish uh, like stoner kind of adult swim kind of kind of kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um. It 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 it, it kind of feels to me like a a bit of a time capsule of the mid twenty tens. Mm-hmm. Um. That 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 feels very special to me, like because you know that's you know that's when I was growing up and everything, you know, and and I think like for for two seasons, the the, the relationship between Tim Cramden and Sam Duvet is the beating heart of it, like it's it's yeah. what makes it. You know, so sweet despite it being so aggressive, uh, and welcoming and irreverent and sincere and earnest, without being so earnest that it becomes like a Mike Sure show. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's very different from that. And you know, I also you know, a, a, as you said, like the the running gag with Mott Crims, uh, chump of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a in a very short amount of time, um, uh, becomes one of my favorite running gags in in any sitcom. And, yeah. and Detroit just manages to fill its world with with a lot of. Characters that are silly and and endearing and mm-hmm. as endearing as the two leads and and I think like all great sitcoms you kind of like hate and love hanging out with these people at the same time you <laughs> yeah. know like and even though in real life it would be quite off putting you know um yeah. there are characters like the the elderly uh, receptionist Sheila um who shines <laughs> in in every scene with, yeah. with very, a lot of quotable and memorable recurring bits and. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like Sheila, like dropping a pencil in front of Tim and complaining about her dumb blonde moments. There's um, Ned, who is, you know, this um, hapless security guard who is constantly yeah. pitching ideas to the guys, <laughs> you know. And, and these characters aren't goofy in a vacuum, though. They're goofy because the world they live in is goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the show is kind of smart enough to let Tim and Sam be whatever the scene needs it to be. And, and this leads to routinely... Um, uh, Role reversals, you know. Sometimes yeah. one is the straight man, and sometimes one is the funny man, and vice versa. You know, when 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 they're dealing with Sheila or Ned, they seem normal. They're straight, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but when they deal with their level-headed assistant like uh, Leah, <laughs> or, or or when they um explode, you know, um, each character can go big or stay grounded. Uh, and it allows everyone in the cast to be uh as gleefully dumb as they are, depending on, you know, what the the scene or what the joke calls for, you know. Um, it's, 
it's also like a great love letter to the city of Detroit, which a lot of uh, which not many shows have set in. You know? mm-hmm. Um, I I think it, it's finale. Uh, it's it's a it's a real sweet love letter to to the city they call home and a city that isn't very um celebrated, shall we say, in, yeah. in Hollywood TV or cinema. Um, not not in the way that New York or LA is, you know. Um, there there are guest spots from you know uh Detroit Pistons and uh, <laughs> pro- professional wrestlers and yeah. uh and Tuesdays with Marie a Maury offer uh, Mitch Elborn, you know, um, a lot of like local. Uh, local stars, uh, shall we say, that, that give it like a, a, a nice um, differentiating flavor from a lot of other sitcoms. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing about Detroit. It's sentimental and sincere uh, without, like I said, dipping into Mike Sure territory. Like, yeah. Because I think like Tim and Sam's obsessions with um, scatological humor and, and hot dogs and, and, and the latent childishness of like a uh, of like an Adam Sandler film, for example, like mm-hmm. it goes, it has this like go for broke anything for a laugh energy. Yeah, that is is um a bit missing from the smarter, more cynical, more joke laid comedies of modern day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um. Any last thoughts about Detroitus before we uh head on uh to the next Comedy Central show? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I do feel like Detroiters, like you said, is a product of its time. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, right? That's one like four years back. But it yeah. does feel like a much older comedy, mm-hmm. um, just like you said. So, again, like, I think I stayed around because, like, while the comedy is good, it is this very small moment of sweetness uh, between the characters and in their relationship and just, like, their general fondness for Detroit. Um, that is endearing to kind of like push through whatever unevenness there might necessarily be, um, you know, sometimes. Um, and yeah, all in all, like it grow, it definitely certainly grows on you as you go along. Uh, or at least mm. that was the case for me as, as I made my way through two seasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Let's. Uh, it, and as I said, it can be found on Comedy Central. Uh, so is this next show called The Other Two, which mm. is um a scathing but also at the same time sweet um comedy or satire about Gen Z celebrity culture. Yeah. Um, it's it's hilarious and heartfelt. And in its freshman season, which was in twenty nineteen, I actually thought it was the best comedy of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's created by former SNL hit writers Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, uh, whose work I followed since her, her mm-hmm. college humor days back in two thousand and five. You know, and and this series begins with the meteoric rise of a thirteen year old who calls himself Chase Dreams. Um, this is a cherubic yep. Justin Bieber type who becomes. An overnight teen pop sensation thanks to his viral music video entitled I Want to Marry You at Recess. Um, and that's when we're introduced to his hapless older siblings, Carrie, uh, played by Drew Tarver, and Brooke, played by Helene York. Um, they are the other two of the title, and they are as befuddled by their little brother's fame as we, the audience, are. To make matters worse, both of them are failed creators themselves. The 29-year-old Carrie is a struggling actor, happy to book commercial spots and rinky-dink plays, while 30-year-old Brooke is a directionless ex-dancer whose only goal for the year is to see 50 dicks. Um, They are (laughs) hot messes and naturally envious of Chase Dreams' sudden success. Um, The setup for an acidic satire of resentment and show business is here but the series isn't cynical it's so much more it would have been easy to make chase an entitled joke while Mm -hmm. portraying carrie and brooke as bitter millennial slackers who secretly mock the absurdity of gen z fame but Mm. and and of course they aren't above using their brother's status for their own benefit um that concept could have been could have worked in a Curb Your Enthusiasm or an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia way. Yeah. But the other two quickly reveals itself to be more sincere and less cynical than its premise lets on. These siblings actually care for one another and they're worried about a business that frequently chews up and spits out young stars like Chase. Um, that being said, the show does love to bear its teeth as much as its heart. Like the other two's funniest moments take gleeful pleasure in making fun of everything 
from vapid red carpet interviews to the ridiculousness of Instagram celebrities. Mm -hmm. But these jokes are also carefully positioned to show that perhaps the only reason we enjoy mocking this lifestyle is because we aren't a part of it. Yeah. There's a certain envy to it. And, and while Chase provides the humorous hook, the scripts are actually built around the small, small milestones and foibles of Carrie and Brooke as they try to make something of themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, sure, they suffer delusions of grandeur, right? Like, Carrie boasts that he went to the theater school where Patrick Wilson's cousin went. Uh, and, and more than a little misguided, you know, when, when faced with tough choices, they, they repeatedly show that they're not bad people, though. Yeah. You know, in fact, their good-hearted support of Chase sometimes leads them to becoming exploited themselves. Uh, a particularly witty episode uh, deals with Chase's song about being proud of his gay brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and within hours, the meme cycle turns Carrie into an object of ridicule and then within hours into a gay icon, mm-hmm. and then we, within hours back into being ridiculed, you know, um, sort of satirizing the, the quick news cycle that happens these days in the internet age. You know? yeah. um, what do you think of the other two in, in you know, the, the half of the season that you've seen? Yeah, so, I mean, like, I totally understand the entire premise of where they're going with this, right? It is an easy thing in this day and age. You know, to either follow someone who has become famous via the internet or to hear of someone who becomes famous on the internet and you take one look at them and you're like, how did they get famous, right? Like, what, how, like, what is this special quality that has pushed them from, you know, maybe a streamer behind their computer, sitting in their mm-hmm. room to becoming kind of like adored by millions and getting paid in millions as well. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that is too far removed from like, anybody's kind of like everyday experience in this day and age. Um, To see that being broken down and the story being told from the family's point of view, right? Uh, The sibling's point of view or sometimes in the rare moments of the couple of episodes that I watched from from kind of Chase's point of view. Um, The absurdity of who gets picked and why they get picked uh, is... Uh, at once illuminating and terrifying at the same time, right? To to think that, you know, yeah, basically, like, there are no real rules as to how this works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you get picked, you get picked. And if you're not prepared, then, like, be ready for a ride, right? Um, I, I think you're absolutely right that it could have been very easy for this to go in another direction. It could uh, have been mean, right? Yeah, it could have been utterly, you know... um. They, yeah, they could have gone a totally mean route. I, I think there's no better kind of way to kind of put that, um, yep. you know, where we just deride the, the the phenomenon and the lifestyle and all of that out of a sense of not understanding or, or jealousy and things like that. But it's And forgetting so- that the people in the middle are people, right? The yes, people, yes, yeah. exactly that part. I think, like, what really hit home for me was very early, um, probably maybe the first episode, I think the yep. three of them are just like cuddling as siblings on, on the couch under the blankets or something like that, right? And it's an extremely sweet moment where it, for the first time in that particular episode and the first time in the season, that it dawns on you that these are three completely normal people, normal siblings, right? Who have suddenly had, as Shakespeare would have said, had greatness thrust upon the youngest one of them, Um and, you know, they're just kind of like trying to figure it out as it goes along. Um, I do like, at least from what I've the episodes I've seen so far, that Chase in particular, like, doesn't really change. He's still who he is, despite the fact that, you know, he's been launched into like a Bieber-like status almost overnight. Uh, yeah. And he continues to be a very sweet boy. Um, the other older siblings however seem to be more affected by their brother's fame than um i expected right like yeah. okay you know uh in the amount of time that i've that i've watched and, and that we spend with this particular family like it it disproportionately affects the older siblings uh than it does chase who i yep. think in many ways was not expecting it and never wanted it right mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the two older siblings uh, with their 
own like underlying insecurities and delusions of grandeur prior to their brother becoming famous. Um, all of that kind of like boils to the surface, right? And all this slag boils to the surface and then they have to kind of deal with it that way. It is funny mm-hmm. and extremely like incisive, right? To the kind of celebrity culture that we see um, in this day and age. Uh, I believe the yeah. episode you're talking about was actually episode four. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the song is My Brother's Gay and That's Okay. Oh man, the new cycle yeah. thing is like fucking spot on, man. That's so, it's so funny. I, I, particularly enjoy the part where they swap from him being uh, from being ridiculed into gay icon like that mm-hmm. is like par for the course right and it's so accurate in the way that they detail how they go uh, how that becomes kind of like a thing yeah uh, and of course the inevitable as always in the age of the internet downfall of that particular idea mm-hmm. um, yeah but like I think it's a fantastic kind of exploration of um, how um, fame or infamy for that matter, and celebrity culture in this day and age where everything is content and everything gets put online and everyone is just kind of watching uh, and how it can affect like totally normal run-of-the-mill people who may or may not have dreams uh, of achieving that kind of fame, right? And then how they deal with that uh, or how they they deal terribly with that when when they are not the object of you know, um, celebration or uh, focus. Um, yeah, yeah. I am. Th- I've thoroughly enjoyed the half a season that I've gotten so far. Um, mm-hmm. It's good to hear that season two is, is just as good. Uh, but I will be finishing up season one for now. And yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I'll get back to you again about like how I feel as as things kind of unfold. I feel like there's a lot of space for it to have incredibly dramatic turns if they so wanted to go in that direction but I'm not mm. sure at the point where I'm, I've watched till. Mm. Uh, does that happen? Yeah. Um, the big overarching mystery about the siblings' relationship with their mother is what happened to their dad uh, and his and his passing. Uh, yep. Something that his mother doesn't want to talk about and it, it, it provides the dramatic thrust for the end of season one and most of season two uh, as they deal with that tragedy and what mm-hmm. Chase doesn't understand about it. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but it yeah. never kind of like leaves the 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 kind of uh, realm and tone that they've, they've set up in the first half of season one. Uh, not really. I think most of the seasons, they start out like the first eight, eight episodes are just like LOLs mm-hmm. and the last two episodes are really sad yeah. uh, and, and grounded. Uh, in a way that you know, when all the fame catches up to them, or and, and stuff like that, like it's it 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 enters dram- dramedy territory in its climax, typically in both season one and season two, and in in that uh, in that way, it's quite good as well. Okay, okay, cool, cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, because I I just see like there's a lot of like opportunity and no reason why they wouldn't look into something like that, right? Because as funny as it is, as as great as like the, the gags are and the satire is, like there is a great deal of like very human emotional elements that can be examined and I'm glad they're doing some some stuff um in that direction. Definitely, you know. Um similarly I think like the other two season two uh, is much like in 2019, also oh. the best season of comedy in 2021 as oh, well. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. Um, it's, it's really good. Um, perhaps like a minor spoiler for the premise of season two. Okay. Uh, where at the end of season one, Chase, um, after barely a year of being a star, um, has enough money, so he retires to go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he ends his fame. La, and, and it's just that, la, you know. And of course, like stars like this, uh, overnight and short-lived, you know, they're, they're famous for, you know, a while and then they disappear and that's what kind of happens to Chase. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of the other two in season two, um, their mother becomes a talk show host and oh, a big star. Goodness. Uh, okay. Which kind of flips the script a bit. Not really, like, because the other two are still the other the two, two. Living, living in the shadow of their mother this time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like it could get very spicy. All right. Mm-hmm. Can can mm-hmm. okay. I'm looking forward to that. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. Um. Any uh final thoughts about uh the other two before we move on? Yeah. Um. It's a very easy watch. Uh. To say like it's breezy. You know. There, there isn't like I don't have any sort of like any major hangups about it. Right. Uh. Mm-hmm. It's just these absurd moments that very normal people get into, as opposed to absurd people being put in very normal moments. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of like the, the difference between like the other two and Detroiters, I guess. Um, yep. Yeah. And in that way, uh, I definitely enjoyed what I've seen so far and I'm looking forward to finishing up the rest of season one and moving on to season two. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other two is is quite packed with you know a lot of hilarity about the artificiality of you know the, the media industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my favorite moments like late in the season is when like Chase is live streaming and he says like shout out to our Lord Jesus Christ and Sony Pictures. <laughs> um, there's also a prom that he goes to like late in the season. Um, sorry to ruin this joke no. for all of you and, and, and for Isa as well, where the theme is, you know, old Hollywood and 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 they are dressed up like, you know, the like forty year old version, oh you know, and stuff God. like that. Like because to them that is, that old, is Hollywood. old Hollywood. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, you know, like Chase and Car- uh, sorry, like Carrie and, and his uh, sister, right? They they really dress up like, you know, like fifties movie stars, like, mm-hmm. but everyone else is dressed up like f- from two thousand two comedies, you know. And you got to keep in mind, like, for these people, like, for these kids at that prom, like, those shows, those films are, like, 20 years old. So, yeah, for them, it is old Hollywood. Yeah. And, and but, you know, through it all, there's this, like, sweetness and vulnerability to every one of these characters that fleshes them out beyond um, a satirical caricature and, and laughs our mind from the spot-on cultural skewering mm-hmm. and up and uh, the running gags, but its emotional core is what makes you root for them. Um, absolutely can't miss comedy that critiques uh, the society that we live in, uh, yeah. but also very forgiving of humanity at the end of the day. Uh, so yeah, um, season one and two uh, is out now. You can catch it on Comedy Central as per usual, or if you're living in the US, it's available on HBO Max on uh, both seasons now. Awesome. Uh, next up, uh, let's move on to one of the older shows that we have. I think it's from 2000. Mid two thousands, right? Uh, and and uh, 20, there were yeah, yeah, twenty eight, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, like back during that era in the mid two thousands to the early twenty tens, um, there were so many like must see shows suddenly cropping up mm-hmm. in the era of you know what we now call peak TV, uh, and, and the average viewer, much like today, couldn't have caught them all. Like, it was the era of prestige shows like yeah. Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Battlestar Galactica and The Wire, you know. Um, and, and yeah, true enough, like those are the shows that you should be prioritizing. But what kind of flew under the radar was a very like extra-esque, uh, re- Ricky Gervais-esque comedy on stars mm-hmm. called Party Down. <laughs> Uh, and and it's it still feels a bit like relevant and timeless even to watch it now. Um, it follows the misadventures of some down on their luck Los Angeles caterers. Uh, and it, it, the catering company, you know, you follow them from one gig to the next. It's a decent concept to start, but the ensemble is what makes the show show shine. You know, um, yeah. Adam Scott uh, plays Henry Pollard, the company's bartender and former actor, you know, whose single line of dialogue in the beer commercial, Are We Having Fun Yet?, um, tanked his career. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the rest of the guest stars are great as well. He serves as a straight man to uh, Ron Donald, played by Ken Marino, who also can be found in the other two, by the way, yeah. uh, who is the overly enthusiastic team leader. Uh, Ron dreams of big-time success in the food service industry, but to everyone else on the team, um, aspiring actors like Casey, played by Lizzie Kaplan, and Kyle, played by Ryan Hansen, uh, and the pseudo-intellectual um, sci-fi nerd writer Roman, uh, played by Martin Starr. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's also like Jane Lynch there. You know, yeah. what uh, what the stat cast and Lydia, played by Megan Mullally. You know, uh, who who moves to LA in order to boost her daughter's acting career. Yeah. Uh, and and take Constance's place on the team later on. Like, like this is nothing but a temporary gig. You know, on the way to stardom. Yeah. Uh, in and in. in in addition to the embarrassment of like comedic riches that is that is the main cast, you know, and you got guest stars like J.K. Simmons, uh, Kristen Bell, and Ken Jeong pop up in supporting roles, you know. Um, and even if the scripts were stale, which they are not, a group like this could make it work. You know, um, every episode is is penned by one or more of the series co-creators, including uh, Rob Thomas of Veronica Mars fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul Rudd also does some writing duties alongside some comedy vets like Fred Savage or Brian Gordon, who are directing the bulk of them. The comedy, the comedy timing here is is all but unparalleled. Uh, mm-hmm. And the jokes range from pleasantly dry to downright 
outlandish. <laughs> uh, and at after two seasons, Party Down is still to this day an easily bingeable show, you know. Yeah. But unlike a series with like constant cliffhangers or heavily serialized storytelling, you know, it can be watched at a leisurely pace as well. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of cringe humor that, that you can get to, but also a lot of smart humor. Um, it's one of the least stressful shows I guess in, in recent memory mm-hmm. uh, and and one of my favorite uh, in, in terms of this like a bit of there's this subgenre right in LA about aspiring actors yeah. or aspiring show business people uh, and Party Down is like one of the best of them la, along alongside Ricky Gervais's Extras which is what this show is clearly inspired by mm-hmm. uh, what do you think about um, Party Down? Yeah it, you're absolutely right when you say that it is a very Easy kind of, kind of breezy watch, right? It feels low stakes. I I think that's that's mm-hmm. kind of the reason why. Like the some of the situations aren't low stakes, but it feels low stakes, right? Uh, and the very kind of um casual way that they work themselves into this all, all sorts of shenanigans and situations as they're doing this this gig is a joy to to just kind of watch, right? I think the cast have a brilliant like kind of chemistry with themselves. I'm a big Lizzie Kaplan fan. Uh and I think like Adam Scott and, and Lizzie Kaplan in particular, uh how like Henry and Casey play off of each other is one of the big draws of that. Like the whole tension between the two of them. Uh whether, you know, uh, uh relational or sexual or otherwise. Uh, it's something that is a bit that was a big draw for me to keep coming back to see what actually exactly happens there. Uh, and then like, oh man, Ron's character is just, my God, um, it is hard to look away, right? It is a train wreck and it is hard to look away, is <laughs> the best I can describe it. But just like the very <sighs> unique situations that they find themselves in episode by episode is kind of mind-boggling sometimes, like... uh some of them are hilarious and mundane and just the fault of of this like this uh, ridiculous cast of characters others are just absurd situations that uh they find themselves in and ultimately take up the challenge to to try and one up um but it's so varied i think in mm-hmm. that manner uh that it always kind of kept me on my feet right cuz outside of you know seeing like the title screen and knowing what the title for the episode is the contents of that like could really really kind of go any way right um yeah i think in particular some of the setups in season two were just oh my god uh the opening episode for season two jacko and mm. backstage party i think might be my favorite one um steve gutenberg's birthday also is like a super super funny one uh, but yeah, like in general, it's fascinating to kind of see and and um what these characters get up to, and also chart in a very kind of casual way their character growth as we go along. In particular, of course, Henry, uh, Henry and Casey, and to a lesser extent, Ron, I guess, since he does disappear for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I really, really kind of enjoyed it. I I felt kind of pretty attached to these characters by by the time you know. Uh, everything wrapped up in season two. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's there's so much to love about Party Down. You know, um, particularly if you're into like guest stars playing themselves, including Steve Gutenberg who plays himself. Um, in that particular era in 2009, it was kind of the rare example of an adult TV comedy, something that we get very regularly now. You know, on yep. Netflix or HBO or Amazon Prime. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a show with like drug use and profanity and nudity, and that was very unusual back in the mid 2000s. And uh, thanks to its home on Stars, which is you know a, a premium cable network, Party Down basically had no restrictions on that content, mm-hmm. uh, on that type of content, and uh, and. Kudos to them for never pushing that level to grossly gratuitous. Yep. Uh, instead, it uses that freedom to depict the realities of these characters in a raw and truthful fashion. And also, like I said earlier on, it's one of the best depictions of the modern-day struggling artists. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the employees of Party Down are not working their dream jobs again. Like <laughs> For the most part, they're aspiring actors, comedians, and writers looking to pay the bills. There is a diversity to their struggles too. You know? um, yeah. Henry at the beginning of the series has like given up entirely after one beer commercial, right? Yeah. Uh, and then there's the heart drop to be Kyle, who might only need the right role to escape 
uh, his ABC family <laughs> guest star slots or yeah. the moody Roman uh, who who just wants someone to take his hard sci-fi seriously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, um, and, and Constance is perhaps, I think, the most heartbreaking because, you know, despite having spent decades scrambling for tiny supporting roles, she's mm. refused to give up on finding success as an actor. And it's really ironic that the reason Jane Lynch had to leave the show after like eight episodes is because she broke out at Glee. Yeah. Um, and, in, and in fact, it's really weird when you think about it, like uh, how many of Party Down's cast got their big break, their characters yearned for. Yeah. Like literally everyone in their cast like managed to make it big after the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if this show was airing after the success of their subsequent shows, you know, like say after Parks and Rec, or yeah. after Glee, or after Lizzie Kaplan became like a movie star or was on Masters of Sex and stuff like that. The show would have been so much bigger. If this was a show filled with a bunch of um, low-key comedic geniuses before they, they broke big. Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting to me. Yeah, like it's super meta, right? In that way. Um, yeah. For, for a small-time show to, to kind of like voice them up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and also with the theme of the show, like, with all these people looking to break big at that time, you know, and mm-hmm. only for it to happen because of the show or after the show, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. What were some of your kind of favorite uh, episodes or scenarios for Party Down? Oh, man, it's it's been so long since I've seen this. Like, it's hard to remember. But I remember, like, Ken Marino constantly being, like, uh, a laugh-out-loud machine. Like, oh, yeah. You know, there, there is this... Oh, man, I haven't seen the show in, like, 15 years, but there is this... One scene where he is trying to, I think, wash a stain off his pants, like in the in a bathroom, and someone yeah. thinks he's masturbating, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It at, made me laugh fu- so hard. At a funeral, yeah. At a funeral, yes. A funeral. Yeah, it made it made me laugh so hard. Yeah, I I love Ken Marino. Like he's he's great in in um the other two as well. Mm, yeah, I mean when he popped up in because I I definitely watched Party Down before I watched uh. Um, the other two when he popped up at the dinner table I was just oh my god here we go uh, mm-hmm. I was so excited just because like um, having seen like Party Down in, in recent memory um, his, his performances are really kind of great um, yeah in particular like going from new Ron to like you know depressed Ron to new new Ron uh, mm-hmm. was like one of the the kind of running gags of the show that um, was very heartfelt despite the fact that it was played up for so much laughs um, mm-hmm. and just like generally very very good I wish honestly Party Down could have continued um, yep. I, I do feel like there, there could have been more that they could have done from there I wasn't quite ready for their story to end necessarily um, mm-hmm. but yeah yeah uh, I'm, I'm glad the cast have gone on to do great and wonderful things in comedy and, and have found success much like their counterparts in the show have been yeah. desiring mm-hmm. yeah um, in fact I think like only Martin Starr because of Freaks and Geeks was already big at the time but I think because of Silicon Valley he he became even bigger after yeah. this mm-hmm. uh, show mm-hmm. you know um, like, like I said like this show wouldn't have come about if Veronica Mars wasn't cancelled because the entire creative team and a lot of the cast were on Veronica Mars mm-hmm. uh, especially Ryan Hansen who was a star and Ken Marino was a star on Veronica Mars as well yeah um this was this was great and and sadly like Veronica Mars it also got cancelled because it didn't find its audience yeah uh but you know thanks to you know um DVD box sets in the in uh, in the past 10 years and now that it's on you know streaming services here and there mm-hmm. uh, it's become a bit of a cult classic that has you know gained an audience uh beyond its time um yeah it's great you should really really uh go check this out if you haven't um it hasn't dated at all i think yeah party down could easily be rebooted in 2021 with a whole new cast of struggling actors you know? mm-hmm. i i think yeah. outside of the fact that they're using kind of flip phones right like nothing really gives it away um, outside of that, you know, uh, and like it's uh, rebooting it, uh, that would be fascinating. Like, as in keep the premise and have a whole slate of new characters. New struggling like characters. La. And like um, a great idea for the first episode probably would be for them to be catering the house of uh, one of the original caterers who has made it big. Oh yeah, I would totally watch that. I would totally watch yeah. it. I think like enough time has elapsed since this, this is 2009. It's been like a decade. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would I would love to do that, and I think the struggle would definitely be a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now kind of with everything available and the fact that like social media is a massive thing that they 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 had to deal with uh in the show, yeah. so having all of that 
would be fascinating to kind of watch, right? Because like being uh, being a struggling, you know, actor slash artist kind of kind of deal, right? Uh, is hard enough already without social media. I would totally like to see how that happens. Uh, um, yeah, because it's it's so much more difficult when you have to be seen all the time in order to make it. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, you know. Um, yeah, uh, and that's uh, that was our thoughts on Party Down, and we'll be moving on to the final show that we'll be talking about uh, this week. It <laughs> is HBO Mexico's, or HBO Latin America's uh, Lost as Spookies, uh, which at the time when it aired in 2018 or 2019, I thought was just great, you know. Like, um, I remember covering it a bit in a quick uh, hits for genre equality. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with the lo-fi surreality of the of the Spanish language horror comedy. Yeah. Um it was um created by Fred Armisen and it is a, a weird show set in a fictional Latin American city uh and follows a group of millennial Latinx goth weirdos yeah. who embrace their passion for the macabre and decide to make a business out of scares. It's sort of a reverse Scooby Doo. Um, where you root for the people setting up the haunts mm-hmm. instead of the ones solving the mysteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these oddballs follow their endeavor from one absurd scenario uh, to the next, leading to some of the most um, unconventional humor you'll find on TV. <laughs> you know, um, For example, the pilot focuses on an old priest jealous of a quote-unquote young hot priest yep. uh, and, and wants to stage an exorcism to prove that he's cooler mm-hmm. uh, or there's an eccentric billionaire who dies and leaves uh, this in his will. Um, he wants to invite five strangers to stay one night in this quote-unquote haunted mansion yep. and the last person standing wins the fortune. Um, apparently, it's routine in their line of work because it's called a quote-unquote standard inheritance scare. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's a local town in need of a tourist, uh, to need of tourist dollars, tourist yeah. commerce. Yeah. Um, hires them to hoax an invasion of a tentacled sea creature. Like you get the idea, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but underneath all the latex and fake blood and bizarre antics, Lost of Spookies has a ton of heart, and the series is really about embracing who you really are and following your dreams. You know, each of its characters face their own rocky path to self-acceptance, yeah. uh, which is always extremely silly, but somehow still relatable. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's an off-kilter show that is wonderfully weird and dryly absurd uh, and enduringly bizarre. The, the, jo- the jobs that they get form the crux of their laughs, and the comedic example is so talented and well-matched. Yeah. Um, like the, the scares may be fake, but the world it's set in has a degree of magical realism where there are some truly magical happenings going on mm-hmm. um, other than the gang's low-budget productions. You know, it, it really embraces this surreal alt-universe building a, this rich world where surface-level concept evolves into something stranger. Uh, it blurs the line between fantasy and reality. You know... Um, yeah, it's 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 great. I love the mundanity. I love the reality <laughs> of it. I love the unconventional humor, yeah. including the weird girl whose job is literally to turn the clock in a town square, oh my like man, like manually. Yeah. Um. Or she, like she literally like turns a fan manually. Um. It's it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And there is uh there is a ghost or a poltergeist. I'm not sure what it was. I forgot at the time. But a ghost who really just wants to watch the king's speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it, yeah. was the, it was the sea spirit. The ocean yeah, spirit. The, the, yeah, the mermaid demon, right? Yeah. yeah. It was, well, that, that scene was so strange. It was so weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the girl, I, um, Tati, yes. Yeah, she is like easily like the highlight of the show. Like everything she does is so bizarre. And mm. she's like so dim-wittedly blank yeah. and invulnerable to, plain, uh, invulnerable to pain, right? And yeah. her, her manual jobs of turning blades of a fan or, or manually moving the hands of a clock is... It's so ridiculous, and then she gets um taken in by a herbal life pyramid scheme. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it's, and ends yeah, up consuming it's, everything. It, it's fantastic. Uh, what, what do you think about Lost Spookies? Oh man, uh this is so left field. My mm. God, uh, it uh, it it took me a while to kind of get into it. Uh, sometimes it's a bit difficult to follow. I do think the I do think the pilot um in particular was a really kind of like good setup for that. Uh, you kind of got the gist of what was going on. Um, but yeah, like it, it did take me a while. Maybe partly because of the the language kind of barrier, 
Um, and because a lot of the on-screen stuff, uh, you could get distracted by the subtitles. Um, yep. Because a lot of it is kind of blink and you miss it, right? Especially like the magical realism stuff uh, that that is on-screen kind of in the background. It's not super obvious necessarily. Uh, you do have to pay attention if you want to catch it. Um, but yeah, I love Fred Armisen here as Tico. I think like uh, for me, outside of outside of Tati, uh, who... Uh, I can't remember the actress's name. Um, yeah, like Fred Armisen's Tico is my favorite from the show. Just because, like, I don't know, man. There's something about Fred Armisen's like straight face with that mustache. Oh man. That in and of itself, like, is 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 uh pure gold. Um yeah. from there. But like the really kind of like the the group's low budget horror antics and at the same time the shows very obviously low budget nod right mm-hmm. to certain things just plays up the hilarity um so much that I didn't I really wasn't expecting that like a lot of the time I'm just like oh my god that is so bad but it's so bad that it's good uh in particular that part that scene that we're talking about um with the spirit who only wants someone to help them watch the king's speech uh, yeah Wow, it is lo- it is overlong, it is painful, it is mm-hmm. very clearly very cheaply done, but it's yeah. funny as hell. Right? Yeah. It's so and uncomfortable, but I I fucking loved it at the end of it. And I love that the the mermaid demon parasite was as underwhelmed with the king's speech as everyone was after yeah. they won the Oscar. Right? Yeah, exactly. I was just like, oh, okay. So why did I sit through the beginning like that? Um, but yeah. it, it really made sense. Uh, yeah, Tati's kind of like little. She doesn't get a ton of screen time necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I love how the 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 main cast always hand wave away the strangeness of the things that she is doing, right? Yeah. Uh, as I I think the one that I found the funniest was when she's moving like the second hand clock. Uh, yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, she can't do anything else, so she's just gonna do like the second hand clock. Uh, mm-hmm. manually and I'm just like what the hell you know yeah, and they and constantly then... <laughs> just they just dismiss it right uh, with yeah. a reason that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and then carry on you know uh, whatever conversation they have for a really long time while she continues to do it in the background mm-hmm. it's, it's it's so silly it's so good uh, and so like kind of off the cuff there's always something there to kind of catch you off guard um, and you aren't sure like okay, for me personally, there were moments in time if I weren't sure, I wasn't sure if something was funny or not, right? Like it gets yeah. delivered and it only hits you later. It's kind of like a delayed response. Um, mm-hmm. Like how good the setup actually has to be in order for you to f- to be caught off guard and then find it funny, uh, mm-hmm. like a joke that sets in too late. Yeah. Uh, but Lost as Spookies is filled uh, t- with a ton of that, and I don't know how they delivered that so continually and consistently throughout the entire season. I mean, given yeah. that it's only six episodes, but like, I think it's quite a feat to be able to consistently do that where you catch your audience off guard with mm-hmm. a combination of things and then they realize that, you know, that what they saw was actually extremely funny. Yes. Um, Lost of Spookies has uh, what I call the buffering effect in comedy, uh, uh, specifically yes. when you watch Tina Fey comedies where her jokes are so bizarre and unconventional that yep. you have a hard time wrapping your head around it. And by that time, six other unconventional jokes have flown by and you have to... Yeah, and you're still thinking of the first one and you have to rewind to catch joke number two, three, and four, and five, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the jokes are so fast-paced and tinged with absurdity. And at its best, Lost as Spookies feels like a half-hour telenovela mm-hmm. that's assembled mm-hmm. by the 30 Rock writer's room or the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt writer's room. Uh, well, they're the same writer's room. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, the running jokes are, are great. Like, uh, Andres, uh, Andres's parents are always pressuring him to marry his boyfriend, Juan Carlos. Yeah. Uh, but we're never allowed to see their faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, R- Ronaldo's, like, haunting pain of being of the lack of why in his name is probably the most hilariously absurd. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's doomed to explain the unusual spelling to every client. You know, <laughs> every, everyone is always like Reynaldo. No, Ronaldo, are you sure? Yeah. Um uh, the Mira Esto host, you know, Gregoria. Yeah. You know, yep. Every time like she removes the pink stilettos and her feet remain in this like high-heeled arc of a Barbie doll, it's also very funny. Um, you know, and, and when they're not crafting like bespoke spooks for paying customers, the, mm. the Lost as Spookies gang all, also kind of grapple with relatable 
challenges, you know, like making rent and yeah. coping with family strife or meeting online dates whose profile pictures definitely do not match reality. Mm-hmm. Um, do like these worldly concerns sometimes cause friction within the group? And uh, Ronaldo and his compadres always find their way back together. Like, you know, for all its fantas- fantasy or foolishness, Los Spookies is at its heart a comedy about, you know, like friendship and following your passions and mm-hmm. fighting the urge to fit in, you know. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts about uh, Los Spookies? Oh, man. Yeah. I, I would, uh, anybody who is attempting Los Spookies, right? Stick with it, right? This, mm-hmm. I think this is one of those shows that you will be duly rewarded if you stick with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, very sad that there is no uh, season two as of yet. Um, it has not been cancelled as I know of, mm-hmm. but uh, well, because of COVID last year, they had to stop filming. I see. Um, you know, it's it's partly why the second season of the other two was delayed for two years as well because of COVID. But it finally came out this year. Uh, hopefully next year or early next year we will get you know a new Lost Spookies. Uh, because. You know, um, HBO has a lot of faith in the show, and apparently, it gets good ratings in Mexico where oh, it should. Yeah, uh, awesome. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and and keep and Fred Emerson is probably like the most recognizable name in the show. Yeah, for but sure. he doesn't he doesn't steal it away from the stars of the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, like he his comedic timing is is just amazing. I I don't know how. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, he constantly does it, but. Definitely, definitely catch Lost as Spookies. I was, uh, yeah. I think this was the surprise of the lot for me, right? Yeah. Uh, especially reading kind of um, the, you know, before diving in in into these four um, mm-hmm. shows, right? Lost as Spookies didn't quite catch me at the beginning of that. Uh, but yeah, at the end of it, it was really, really fun. Definitely, man. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe next year I'll, I'll come back with another version of like uh, obscure comedies that I love but no one else has ever seen because <laughs> there's a lot of them Um, particularly with uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt which is so funny that I'm shocked that nobody ever like talks more about it or I, doesn't get like I started like on that. that earlier this year and mm-hmm. I'm still kind of making my truth because this is a fair, fair amount of uh, stuff to go yeah. through yeah, I totally agree with you. It, it it was something that constantly popped up under my recommendations for uh comedy on net on my Netflix. Uh but I yeah, I just never kind of you know, picked it up. Never never kind of like bothered to to check it out. Uh, but yeah, I'm slowly making my way through that. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, Definitely underrated. One- once you're done with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you should go on to its um, Choose Your Own Adventure movie or Netflix. Oh, shit. They have, uh, a, they have a Choose Your Own Adventure movie? Okay. Which I feel like it's tougher to do than what Black Mirror did because uh-huh. like it offers like sometimes three or four choices and each particular narrative road or your choice yep. leads to like insane like variations of jokes. You know, I can't imagine like the work in the writer's room coming up with variations of the same joke. Uh, for different times or different plots, you know, Shit, uh, de- depending on where you can go, yeah, it's crazy, and and all the jokes are good. Like mm-hmm. you want to, you want to go through every scenario because Black Mirror's uh, Bandersnatch, right? Like yeah. not every plot line was good, but mm-hmm. every joke in the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt alternate plot lines are worth it. Like you just want to play through everything just to catch like every single punchline. You know? That's insane. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm just reading the description here. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but it's better for me to get to that after I'm done with the, the season. Uh, uh, after you're done with the show, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, it, it carries on from the show. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely, you know. And it's it's one of those where, like, John Hamm, you know, first started, you know, showing his comedy chops, you know. Um, mm-hmm. John Hamm is, like, starring in a lot of comedies now. He was in um, Curb Your Enthusiasm last season and... Uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was where he got his start. Like he is, uh, he plays the cult leader that uh, imprisons Kimmy uh, yep. in in the beginning, <laughs> uh, and he's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, since we've already started Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you know, like maybe in a few months from now we'll we'll, we'll get back to to that, and I'll pick some other like some obscure comedies on streaming services that nobody else has seen. Sweet. Uh, yeah, that's mm. great, man. And we'll be back next uh, in two weeks. Sorry. Uh, for Netflix nonfiction, uh, mm-hmm. we'll, I'll be talking about some of the um, smarter, more informative, more incisive, and more insightful documentaries that are available on Netflix. Uh, in a bit of a rebellion against the popular documentaries that seem to be viral, the sensationalistic or exploitative uh. or 
dishonest stuff like Tiger King or Seaspiracy uh, and things like that. Lah. So yeah, yeah. Um, tune in in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that and we'll be back for genre equality, of course, you know, mm-hmm. in, in due time where uh, we'll give our thoughts on the Eternals, mm-hmm. um, the new Cowboy Bebop, which is coming out soon mm-hmm. uh, and has a lot of great genre stuff that I caught from you know um, various festivals over the past month. So yeah, uh, tune in for that. We've got lots uh, to hit up. And of course, in December, we'll talk about the best of the yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, I got to get uh, to making my list. Um, yeah, uh, can't wait for that, man. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off here? Oh no, 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 that's about it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of switching gears from like the comedy mm-hmm. to to the nonfiction stuff. It's gonna yep. be quite a. It might be a bit of whiplash for me, but we'll see how that goes. Definitely, definitely, because like the the nonfiction is so much more hard hitting, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah, and it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about that. Uh, till next time, this has been Hitzer. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.